0: Technology is not only changing how healthcare is delivered, it's also advancing where and when it's delivered.
1: We have seen virtual and digital overtake every other industry. We knew that that was only a matter of time before it became the dominant force in medicine.
0: On today's show, discover how the COVID-19 pandemic is rapidly increasing the need for virtual care.
1: The pandemic really has accelerated and shaped virtual care and telemedicine into ways that it hadn't been able to take root
0: before. We'll also hear how virtual care impacts patients who are among the most vulnerable for getting COVID-19.
2: We are seeing about half of our
0: patients virtually at this
2: point. Nowhere near the very, very small percentage that we were engaging before the pandemic.
0: Learn about virtual care in the face of COVID-19 and going forward inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Bellmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Wisconsin, Frederic Hospital, Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. Technology changes perhaps faster than anything in our lives. Seemingly, new advancements happen daily. And it's not only technology itself, but how we use it that changes quickly. Take, for example, our country's current situation with the COVID-19 pandemic. The coronavirus brought about the need for people to socially separate. But life needs to go on, and that includes health care to ensure healthy living. Fortunately, we have smartphones, laptop computers, and tablets to keep us connected digitally. And never has that been more vital than during this public health crisis. Dr. Brad Crotty is Assistant Professor of Medicine, Division of General Internal Medicine at the Medical College of Wisconsin. We met with him recently to learn about virtual care, clinical health care that's conducted not in person but using technology. Dr. Crotty tells us that the need for social distancing in order to control the spread of the coronavirus is indeed important, particularly in clinical care
1: going to be one of our most important mechanisms to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And so we set out clear aims as a relates really sort to our of virtual care and telemedicine program as we wanted to keep people safe. And that's both our patients and then also to protect our staff from patients that could be seen virtually to reduce exposure. And also virtual is really one of the best forms of personal protective
0: equipment that we could have. But let's go back. Was virtual care already a thing before COVID-19? Dr. Crotty says it was, but...
1: The pandemic really has accelerated and shaped virtual care and telemedicine into ways that it hadn't been able to take root before. We had seen telehealth predominantly in niche areas. Those included rural medicine, where there were large physical distances between people who need services and those qualified to provide them. So there were very limited ways that people were actually engaging in telemedicine.
0: A few years ago, Dr. Crotty co-authored a chapter of a book focusing on non-traditional methods of care. What were the non-traditional methods he wrote about then?
1: on were virtual visits, telephone-based visits, and other population health type of outreach that many clinics are now incorporating. But at those times, those were considered non-traditional. Traditional Traditional really was have a need, make an appointment, and come in for service.
0: He says while he and his co-author were writing about virtual care being the future of clinical care, COVID-19 was a game-changer.
1: I need to look back on it and call it non-traditional methods of care. We wrote that chapter focusing on what could be forms of care, telephone visits, virtual visits, visits through the patient portal or asynchronous visits. So we were writing about how clinics were going to start to have this, but the chapter was a taste of what was to come. And now with COVID-19, these methods have really become primary, if not very close, secondary ways of delivering care right now.
0: It's not that he necessarily thought virtual care was far from taking off.
1: I thought it was ready to hit prime time. It just didn't have the right fertile environment. And it wasn't that it wouldn't grow. It just didn't have the right nurturing environment to blossom.
0: What was the nurturing environment he refers to that was missing for virtual care to take off?
1: That nurturing environment is the economics and the regulatory environment that surrounds the practice of medicine. And so as long as these visits are not paid for in our traditional insurance setting, as long as there are barriers to being able to incorporate them that were regulatory or financial, they weren't going to be incorporated. But in COVID, what we have seen is that the federal government and commercial insurers have put on hold roadblocks, if you will, in order to do telehealth and virtual care and that has essentially helped us transition, and it's unlikely that we're going to go back. And so I think what COVID has done has helped sort of catalyze that push, and it did come faster than I thought it would.
0: When he wrote about virtual health care a few years ago, how was his work received by his peers and cohorts at that time?
1: I think my clinician peers do see the value of it, and generally would embrace it if they had been offered the opportunity previously.
0: In fact, he notes one specific group of his peers who have been at the forefront of virtual care
1: i co authored the chapter with a colleague who had worked at the Veterans Hospitals and the VA has really been at the forefront because they cover large geographic regions and they also are not bound by the payment requirements in terms of providing care. So they have done a lot more in leading the country in using telemedicine.
0: Looking back, who was the driving force for virtual care? Was it patients? The medical industry? Dr. Crotty says it was both.
1: We were looking at virtual care from the lens of our organization we were very focused on what consumer trends were and we have seen virtual and digital overtake every other industry and it's just been very slow to get into healthcare and we knew that that was only a matter of time before it became the dominant force in medicine and so we were looking at consumer trends very closely we were looking at particularly younger people given the choice between having their need met today virtually versus waiting a few days to see a physician so we were really listening to what healthcare consumers were telling us and then start to design our processes to take digital and virtual into
0: account. But there were aspects of virtual care that he and others couldn't necessarily anticipate due to COVID-19
1: that it would be a gradual transition. And what COVID presented was anything but a gradual transition. You know, over the period of three days, we really had to rethink how we were able to deliver care. And what that did is it took everybody, whether you were an early adopter of technology or late adopter of technology, and brought you into the virtual space because in person was an option only for those who really needed it.
0: And that sudden need to bring clinicians and patients into the virtual space meant rapid change
1: required a lot of adjustments for our clinical operations and our physicians, so we had to do very rapid deployment of telehealth services. The needs for care, of course, did not go away during COVID, and so we had to get everybody up on the technology and then up on the best practices. And then we had to educate patients on how the service would work and how to be prepared for the services.
0: Did what Dr. Crawdy co-author a few years ago, in effect, morph from hypothetical to instructional?
1: Yeah, I do. Think- So I think we would go back and we would add a few more details in a few particular areas now, but really several of the points continue to serve as instructions or blueprint to care and sent that chapter around to peers as well as people in the medical education space so they could share with students and residents in training right now.
0: So the chapter he wrote on non-traditional methods of care then, for the most part, holds up today.
1: Yeah, I think so. What we're focusing on that chapter are ways we could meet people's needs in ways that look very different from the traditional office visits. And in many ways, what we've seen is people have been embracing the use of telephone, embracing the use of video and virtual. We clearly have some new areas that we need to focus in on as well
0: he shares one of the most important areas needing focus.
1: One of the areas that has important attention on it right now is the issue of health equity to make sure that we can actually address and help all patients regardless of technology, access, and health literacy, digital literacy, technology literacy, and values and preferences. And so that's one of the areas that we've been focusing on. We have continued to do video through COVID, but we've also continued to do telephone during COVID if someone doesn't have the digital equipment or the interest in using it. Patients who have English as a second language, we can have interpreters incorporated into these virtual visits. So the health equity is an
0: important area Today, Dr. Crotty says there are many patient benefits of virtual care. Yes, during COVID-19, but also going forward
1: a lot of examples of how people are using telemedicine. We've had a patient go on a smoke break at work and talk to their doctor about smoking cessation rather than lighting a cigarette. We have seen people on the job take video calls in their car, so that has saved them from having to take time off of work. They've been able to do it on a scheduled break essentially and get right back to doing their work.
0: Another benefit is seeing
1: people in their home environment. We can go to the medicine counter and take a look at what pills are there. We can understand what constraints are in the home environment if we need to make any recommendations for getting around the house, occupational therapy, etc., The general theme is that we're getting care delivered in a way that is built around the person rather than being built around the doctor or the clinician.
0: Of course, the convenience of virtual care has led to some interesting scenarios
1: some interesting examples where people have wanted to do visits while driving a car. And those have been examples that we've had to say, this is not the best time and place to have a conversation about your health. Why don't you pull over or let's reschedule the
0: time. Meanwhile, other patients encounter what he refers to as areas of friction in embracing virtual care
1: several areas of friction for patients. One is getting comfortable with the idea of doing a virtual visit and understanding what it is and what it is not. Everyone has clear expectations of what it is like to go to the doctor's office, but many people are doing these video visits for the first time and understanding how to actually sign online to get connected. We've been trying to make even easier for patients.
0: Conversely, there are areas of friction for doctors and clinicians as well, including technical issues.
1: We have visits where connection is just not stable enough. And that can be frustrating because on a video call with friends and you get a poor connection, you just keep going. But with potentially a stressful conversation, the stakes are a lot higher. And so we have to not have our clinicians be doing a lot of tech support, which they currently
0: are doing. Other significant areas of friction are related to regulatory and policy changes surfacing due to rapid growth in virtual care
1: rubs has always been how clinicians are paid for their time and their services and this health policy issue I think has been one of the more important issues of the virtual visit transition so it's not uncommon for people to call in for medical advice or to send a message through a secure patient portal. However, kind of difficult to check all of the boxes in order to have that be paid
0: for. Dr. Karate suggests moving to a value-based healthcare system will help.
1: When we transition to a value-based care and service, we have the ability for focus to be just on what does Mr. Jones need today and my colleagues have been looking forward to be able to do the right thing by patients without worrying about whether I can get paid for it or not. And so I think it's really a joy of practice to be able to just do the right service for the patient when they need it.
0: Ahead of such changes, how does he see healthcare responding to rapidly increasing virtual care, especially due to the pandemic?
1: the way down to small doctor's offices have found ways to provide telehealth services to patients. So I think everyone has put their best foot forward, although there's been a lot of fits and starts because some people were starting with fairly robust telehealth programs and other people were
0: building them from the ground up. And as more and more virtual care takes place, he expects there'll be more refinement and focus on patient experience in the future. As far as the patient experience in virtual care to this point.
2: Patient
1: response not unexpectedly is mixed. Some people really find it incredibly convenient and incredibly helpful. And other folks will say, well, this is easy, but I still like coming in to see you. And I hope that next time we'll see you in person. One of the things that I think we'll be going forward in the future with is instead of every six-month visits, doing a series of shorter touch points that are likely to be done by video but could be over text message, likely to be valued by both the patients and clinicians
0: too. What about you? Have you experienced a virtual healthcare visit with your physician? If you haven't, Dr. Crotty offers this encouragement.
1: COVID-19 accelerated a trend that had already been started, but really it solidified that virtual care is an efficient and effective way of receiving health care services and, in general, provides the same amount of quality care and service for the patient.
0: We now know that virtual care is practical in general, and due to the pandemic, it's been necessary. But is it viable for providing quality health care for patients with pre-existing conditions, especially during COVID-19? To find out, we spoke with Dr. Josh Meskin, Director, Associate Professor, Department of Medicine, Division of Cardiology at the Medical College of Wisconsin. As director of cardiology, Dr. Meskin says it's been critical for he and his team to pivot in their approach to cardiological care during the pandemic.
2: As the pandemic took hold, there was a lot of medical research to investigate who's at highest risk for contracting the illness and who would have complications from the illness, such as the need for hospitalization or even death. And the research showed cardiovascular disease is one of those pre-existing conditions that puts people at the highest risk. So we wanted to be very conscious of limiting the risk to our patients because they were at such high risk for complications from the coronavirus.
0: Prior to the pandemic, some virtual care and cardiology was being conducted, but on a very limited basis. He gives some examples
2: have implantable devices, such as a pacemaker, would have remote interrogations of the device, meaning we could check the device from a piece of medical equipment in that patient's home and have that information sent back to the office. That would be considered a virtual visit. We also could call a patient and talk to them about a medication refill or a new complaint to better coordinate care.
0: However, since the COVID-19 coronavirus hit, virtual care has skyrocketed.
2: The things that we're doing now in this last several months, the volumes of visits that we're seeing is dramatically different than what was occurring before the COVID-19 pandemic. For example, we are seeing about half of our patients virtually at this point, and that is nowhere near the very, very small percentage that we were engaging prior to the pandemic.
0: And because necessity is often said to be the mother of invention.
2: We had to bring up technology and support and a lot of other issues had to get solved very quickly in order to do what we're doing right now. If I said I wanted to do a video visit back, say, in January 2020, I couldn't have done that with a patient.
0: Is virtual care more challenging for cardiological health care as opposed to other areas of health care?
2: I'm not sure I would say necessarily it's more challenging. I think each patient needs to be approached differently and given appropriate care for their needs.
0: So then what determines whether a cardiology patient can be effectively served via virtual care versus an in-person visit?
2: If I have a patient seeing me for something such as preventative care because of a family history of heart disease, I can do a lot of counseling and engaging very well over a video. If there's a patient who I've never seen before who's got new chest pain or shortness of breath, seeing them virtually can be challenging because I can't do things that I would normally do to investigate those symptoms on a very urgent need.
0: This also means working with the individual patient to determine if virtual care is the best option.
2: Obviously, one of the big concerns is, is the patient comfortable with the virtual approach? When we schedule a patient, we make sure that they have an understanding of what virtual care means and make sure they understand the technology enabled to do that. Then we try to figure out, is their condition appropriate or not appropriate for a virtual visit?
0: Next, we asked Dr. Meskin if there are specific cardiovascular conditions that are better suited for virtual care.
2: More chronic problems are usually more easily addressed with virtual care. Newer problems or new complaints are generally better served in person. More specifically, preventative care, things like cholesterol control, those are very suited to virtual care. Long-term management of coronary artery disease, if the patient's not having symptoms, can be done through virtual care.
0: When the pandemic hit, how prepared were he and his cardiology team to pivot to the level of virtual care needed in response?
2: I'm not sure that I was ready for how significant of a change it would have on my life, both professionally and personally. I don't think that we were ready to pivot directly to virtual care because we never had to consider that option before this pandemic hit.
0: However, although they couldn't have been fully prepared for it.
2: I've been very impressed with not just my cardiology team, but the whole entire enterprise's response to the need to make that huge pivot. We understood the need to prevent potential spread of the virus. That understanding was a huge driver to make this happen and the rapid response to change that everyone's embraced.
0: He does admit there have been challenges getting virtual care to where it needs to be during COVID-19.
2: Issues cropped up. You're having 30 people in a clinic doing video visits. The traffic on the Wi-Fi goes up dramatically, and our IT team responded by increasing servers. We saw the development of new technology, which we were willing to adapt and utilize, things like that.
0: And fortunately, during all of this, patients have been, well, patient.
2: Sometimes you worry about how you're serving the patient and whether they understand your intent. And I think the patients showed a tremendous amount of uh, willingness to give us the benefit of doubt when things weren't working and giving us their patience to make sure that we were able to give us the care and understanding that there was going to be delays throughout the day as we overcome struggles that were happening.
0: What might a typical cardiology virtual care appointment consist of? Dr. Meskin walks us through. First, a pre-exam
2: scheduled for an appointment. We confirm that they have technology and the appropriate consent to be able to do a virtual visit. Then the day of, they'll get another phone call from us to review their medications, any home vitals that they have by taking their own blood pressure or heart rate, go over their insurance, a typical front desk experience when you're doing in-person care.
0: And then for the virtual exam,
2: at the time of the appointment will contact them to join the virtual visit, either through an app on the phone, or sometimes the physician would send them a text message, and the patient would open that text message link to a video. Then you'll have an audio and video experience with the physician that's pretty similar to doing FaceTime with a friend or something, because it's using the same technology.
0: There are some unique obstacles in providing virtual care specifically for cardiology patients.
2: The Obstacles are when a patient has a new symptom that I wasn't prepared to address in a virtual setting. Someone who tells me that they are having a new problem with shortness of breath or a new problem with chest pain that I'd like to investigate further. And then there's a challenge of, I can't do an exam for those specific people to supplement my decision-making.
0: But those obstacles can provide new opportunities
2: give me an opportunity to identify that symptom, order some initial testing, and then coordinate follow-up in a timely manner so we can follow up both on the symptoms and the testing. So I think there's challenges and obstacles that can be overcome and handled.
0: What's the learning curve been like for patients? Have they had specific challenges?
2: There is for patients who aren't used to using a lot of the features on their computer or smartphone technology that's tough to engage with. But it's actually pretty straightforward when someone walks through it, and I've had a lot of patients who have done a virtual visit with us before, and the second time, they're like, it's a piece of cake. So I think the unknown is probably the biggest challenge and learning curve, but it's quickly overcome.
0: Because of the pandemic, what protocols are implemented to ensure safety of cardiology patients for in-person visits?
2: of our patients are needed to have in-person care. So utilizing those virtual visits decreases the number of people at any one time in our facility. So that alone creates social distancing. In our waiting room, people are spaced out better. Everyone who comes into the facility is screened for symptoms and asked to wear a mask. And then we also ask people to come alone. If they have the need, we ask that only one person accompanies them.
0: Although some cardiology care requires in-person visits, Dr. Meskin says there's already lots of technology for patients to use at home to monitor conditions.
2: Definitely, and people have implantable devices like pacemakers, there's boxes at people's homes that transmit the data from those devices to us. Patients who need to wear a temporary monitor, we can mail it to them, they can wear it for a prescribed period of time, and then mail it back to us. So there's not even an in-person interaction, but instructions that can be done virtually.
0: There's even technology many of us already have that can allow more cardiology care to be conducted virtually.
2: Apple watches that can search for rhythm problems called atrial fibrillation. People have developed cases that you can put on your phone that can do a EKG for the patient. Those things are used by our clinic even before COVID-19. I think we've engaged them even more since that. And I think those types of opportunities will continue to grow as technology gets more and more innovative.
0: Today, the need for virtual care is greater than ever in cardiology due to the pandemic we're all dealing with.
2: Certainly with COVID-19, the biggest concern that patients have is getting sick from the virus and then having a major complication from that virus. We know that cardiovascular patients are at highest risk for that. So we want to make sure we're preventing that. On the flip side, our patients still have cardiovascular disease and they need access to care to maintain their health. And I think the virtual care gives us a lot better opportunity to provide that access to patients.
0: While virtual care is important, it's equally important to ensure quality of care is not compromised by going virtual.
2: Be making sure we're doing it in a way that's safe and appropriate for the right patient with the option for in person care when needed. We certainly don't want to create a virtual care experience that's not providing appropriate care to our patients. We need to make sure we're able to identify issues with patients and address them in a proactive and a reactive fashion so that we can keep people as healthy as possible.
0: Still, it's important to remember that virtual care is an option during COVID-19 and in the future.
2: Understanding that it is an option and not a requirement, and also understanding the success that we've had with it should help ease concerns for patients. It's an option for patients. In-person care is also an option. If a patient still has concerns after hearing that information, we certainly don't want them to have anxiety about how they're being cared for in addition to the anxiety about their disease.
0: But if a patient requires in-person care during COVID-19, he assures us every effort is being made to keep everyone safe.
2: I have a family with young kids, and I certainly have concerns about getting sick and bringing that back to my family. But I wouldn't come to work every day if I didn't feel that we had the appropriate measures to keep me safe so I can continue to be part of my family and keep my patients safe so that they can go home to their family and be safe.
0: So despite these uncertain times of COVID-19, you can be certain that quality health care is available.
2: We can do virtual care very well for a large portion of our patients. I encourage people to try to embrace it and understand that if they have issues that can't be addressed virtually, we still have tremendous ability to safely and effectively deliver in-person care as well.
0: And with that assurance, we're all out of time for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Our sincere thanks to both of our guests, Dr. Brad Crotty and Dr. Josh Meskin. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month, so make an appointment on your calendar and join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Bellmer, wishing you happier, healthier days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to the podcast of this or any of our shows online and on demand, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. You'll also find it wherever you listen to your other favorite podcasts. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Bellmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.